Front Range Outdoors is brought to you in part by Wild Montana's Island Range Chapter, uniting and mobilizing communities to keep Montana wild. Learn more at wildmontana.org forward slash IRC. Also, Front Range Outdoors is sponsored by Great Falls Area State Parks, including Giant Springs, Tower Rock, First People's Buffalo Jump, and Sluice Boxes, providing year-round cultural, historical, and recreational experiences for the Great Falls area. Good afternoon and welcome to Front Range Outdoors on KGPR Great Falls. This is Amy Grisak and I am flying solo today, but we have the privilege of speaking with Shoto resident Dave Shea, who, for those who don't know, was a, a wilderness ranger, backcountry wilderness ranger in Glacier National Park for 36 years, 11 of which were spent in the Belly River where every summer he spent time back there taking care of that entire region and making that his home for nearly 12 years, and also served as a wildlife biologist and a bear specialist ranger. So Dave knows a thing or two about bears and the wilderness of Glacier National Park. And during his long career in this venue, one of the, I don't want to say highlight, but Definitely a standout incident within his career was what we referred to as the Night of the Grizzlies, which was a devastating, dramatic event, dramatic event, but was very important to the future of bear management. So thank you, Dave, very much for joining us this afternoon to be able to share this story, what happened, why it happened, and then really hope to get into the results of how we're managing bears, in particular grizzly bears, today in the modern times. So thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm glad to be visiting with you again and to share this story. Uh, there's always a lot of interest in bears and, and bear management. But basically, we're going to talk about the Night of the Grizzlies in Glacier Park and what occurred on the on the 13th of August, 1967, in the early a.m., when uh, two girls were killed by two different grizzlies in two different parts of the park. And this, of course, was a very unusual occurrence and had never happened before. So here's the main things I'll talk about regarding these incidents. First, what are some of the factors that led up to these events? Secondly, we'll go into some detail about each of the two events. And incidentally, two good references for further details are the PBS TV special and Jack Olson's book, both entitled Night of the Grizzlies. And the third thing I'll talk about is what I like to emphasize, the good things that resulted from these incidents, the immediate effects they had on bear management policies, not only in Glacier but nationwide. As an aside, 
it's hard to believe this occurred over 50 years ago. And uh, most of the folks that were involved are no longer with us. <laughs> so only three of us who were actually involved in the management actions are still alive. One is friend Bert Gildart. Bert was at Trout Lake and actually shot one of the bears. Secondly, a second, uh, a young ranger naturalist named Joan Devereaux happened to have led a hike to Granite Park that day and was the only Park Service presence when that incident occurred. So those were the three of us. And again, I find it interesting in the amount of interest shown in, in these events, even after 50 years. And I, I think that's because it involved bears and humans and Glacier Park and human mortality. And uh, I guess it's a reminder that we aren't always the top predator. In any case, it's been a great opportunity for bear education and information and to emphasize how bears and humans can coexist so these incidents don't happen again. Now, Dave, one question I have. What was bear management like back in the 60s? <laughs> I'll get to that right now, <laughs> because that was one of the factors leading up to these events. For one thing, the bear management plan for the whole park was three pages long. These days, it's 67 pages. Wow. And uh, it covers every conceivable uh, angle of any events that might occur, plus it covers us, covers the park more uh, legally as well. But in those days, uh, well, there was never a human fatality due to bears before in the park, so there was not that much emphasis on serious bear management. Things were much more relaxed. And, for example, uh, tourists routinely feeding roadside black bears, and a big factor was the amount of garbage accumulated and scattered throughout the backcountry where folks would just uh, haphazardly camp. So food and garbage would uh, routinely be left behind and sometimes even buried. And, of course, uh, that was great fun for bears to dig that up. So basically, these were... And the worst thing of all was was uh, at Granite Park Chalet where garbage was uh, purposely being put out every night. So these were pretty much incidents waiting to happen. Just to kind of put things in perspective, uh, I want to talk about this chronologically and uh, some of the lead, lead up to some of the events. I uh, remember... These incidents occurred on the 13th of August, 1967. On the 9th, on, uh, on the 9th of August, Bert Gildart and I hiked to Granite Park to check out reports of the garbage being left out, and we saw five grizzlies that night feeding in a small belly about 100 yards west of the chalet, and uh, we submitted reports to the park. And again, Bert and I agreed that it was pretty much an incident waiting to happen. Four days later, it did. Oof. So that was on the 9th. On the 11th of August, I was camped deep in the backcountry monitoring some neck banded elk 
in the northeast corner of the park. And the reason I mention this is because there were terrific lightning storms that night that started around 34 fires in the park. And this was later mentioned as a possible cause for the bear attacks, but of course, these storms have been going on for thousands of years, and uh, I don't believe we're any kind of a factor. So I was camped on the 11th. On the 12th, I hiked out and returned to headquarters. And on the 13th, early in the morning, is when the attacks occurred. So on the 14th of August, I hurried to the to Granite Park Chalet. At this point, the uh, Two of the bears had already been killed. They'd been coming in the, the night before and were shot. We killed the last bear early in the morning on the 15th, and that was a sow with two tiny cubs, only about six months old. And she had blood on her claws, and we agreed that she had probably killed the girl. And incidentally, these cubs survived on their own through the winter, which is pretty amazing. And unfortunately, they were both killed the following summer because of getting into garbage. So on the 16th, the last two of us hiked out as no more bears showed up. And as an aside, as we were hiking out, we noticed smoke rising below us on the glacier wall. And we called it into the fire cache. So many fires had started on the 11th that there was no one to go to that fire. So that was the start of one of the season's biggest blazes, uh, the Glacier Wall Fire. Well, let's talk about some of the details of each event and start with Granite Park Chalet. And again, garbage was left out every night. Uh, folks were told to come to Granite Park and view the grizzlies. And two young folks hiked in from Logan Pass on the High Line Trail. Uh, they were a couple, and they wanted to camp off by themselves, out in the campground. And on the night of the 12th, they uh, camped down below the chalet. They were told that wasn't a good idea because the bears came through that area to get to the chalet. So early on the 13th, they were attacked by the bear, and the girl was dragged off downhill. The young man was also injured but ran away uphill. And the folks at the chalet could hear the commotion going on, and they eventually went down and found the girl. And fortunately, there were two doctors at the chalet but there wasn't much they could do. She had a punctured lung, died of blood loss, and shock. So that's when we were told to go to the chalet and start shooting any bears that came in. And these were actually orders from Washington, D.C. And as disagreeable as it was to kill these bears, in the long run it was a thing to do because they were so tied into human presence and human garbage. So again, in all, three bears were killed at Granite. And the events at Trout Lake, um, five young folks hiked in together into Trout Lake over Howell Ridge from the head of Lake McDonald on the 12th of August. 
And they incidentally had a dog with them, which of course was not legal. I was just going to ask if whether that was allowed back then. No, okay. no way. So that was possibly a factor. On the way in, they met some folks hiking out who mentioned there was a bear hanging around the camping area. And indeed, early on the 13th, this grizzly entered their camp twice and ate some of their food. And later that same night, the bear started attacking, and four of them got out of their sleeping bags and up trees. Uh, however, the girl was dragged off and killed and uh, partly partially eaten by the bear. So the next morning, they came down out of the trees, and two of the campers ran back over Howell Ridge and reported the incident to the ranger at Lake McDonald Ranger Station. And he and Bert Gildart were sent back over the ridge with rifles, and they located the remains of the young lady, and they spent the night at the nearby Arrow Lake Snowshoe Cabin, which is up by Arrow Lake above Trout Lake. And that cabin, incidentally, is gone now, went out in an avalanche. But the next morning, the bear approached the cabin, and they shot the bear. And a medical examiner, examiner was actually flown in, and the bear was autopsied. And it was emaciated and sickly and had human remains in its stomach and also shards of glass in its teeth from eating garbage. So there were a couple of contributing factors with this bear First was the amount of garbage that was left by previous campers in the area. Secondly, this bear had been hanging around and not acting like a wild bear for several days. There was obviously something wrong with it. And, of course, looking back, uh, that bear should have been eliminated beforehand. So what are some of the theories on why these occurred? Uh, the lightning storm on the night of the 11th, we talked about that, and it probably was no factor. About the presence of the dog, that was very possibly a factor because that was the girl in the sleeping bag that was attacked by the bear. About lack of food, for example, for bears that summer. No, that was a good year for huckleberries, and uh, it was just a, an odd, sickly bear and again with glass in its teeth. So basically, as we discussed, it was a combination of human garbage and lax management. But indeed, it was an amazing coincidence with two girls and two different bears in two different locations on the same night. And uh, I guess basically we'll never know for sure. With the sow at Granite Park, was she in fair condition, health-wise? She, she was, and all of the bears at Granite were in good shape, and they uh, were all sent out for autopsy. And uh, the bear that we figured actually killed the girl uh, was in uh, fine shape. And so that so, couple was kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time when she came through? Yes. And they were told uh, it was not a good place to be camping, but uh, that's what happened. 
So here's the good part. How did these incidents change wildlife management and specifically bear management in Glacier and even nationwide uh, virtually overnight? There were basically three big five big changes and improvements and uh, these were mostly common sense but way overdue and again uh, I mentioned that all of a sudden the the bear management plan went from three pages to 67 so that was a good a good start Um, first of course no more putting out garbage anywhere purposely to attract bears. And that's a very obvious thing to be eliminated. Same way with uh, the long-term practice of feeding black bears along the road. I'm sure that was Uh, a big tourist attraction, just like it was in Yellowstone at the time. Oh, that that was amazing. And that's probably the best example uh, for several years Uh, park put out much garbage in one place and they actually built bleachers Mm -hmm. for tourists to sit in the evening and watch the grizzlies eat the garbage. And and had the rangers give presentations. That's right. In Yellowstone. Uh, Not exactly a wilderness experience. No. So, secondly, a strict pack-in, pack-out policy is now enforced. So uh, garbage no longer uh, is left in the backcountry. And at that point, all existing garbage at all backcountry campgrounds were cleaned up. And it took that incident to make that happen. Just as an example, uh, I think there were 17 gunny sacks of garbage from Trout Lake alone. So that was certainly an overdue thing. Wow. Thirdly, and this was really big, and it goes on to these to this day, each campground in the backcountry was divided into designated campsites. And just uh, for uh, to give you an idea, there's, there's about uh, somewhere around 50 campgrounds backcountry campgrounds uh, throughout the park. So that included a lot of territory and a lot of uh, rehab and reconstruction. In each one of the the campgrounds, a cooking area is designated, uh, and that's far from the actual camping sites. And we strung up wire cables between two trees in every campground, to hang food and aromatic items at night. Uh, now the outhouses and hitch rails are separated, and in some campgrounds, no fires are allowed anymore. So that was a big move. And a fourth thing is a backcountry camping permit system was established, and what that does is it limits the numbers of campers and limits the number of people using the backcountry, and the the numbers can actually be controlled. So certain areas are not overused. And before folks even get backcountry permits, uh, they're required to watch a movie uh, detailing 
what to do and what not to do in the backcountry. This is also kind of useful because if someone is, is missing, we would know about where to start looking for them. And then finally, an aggressive education program with recommendations was established at all places that issue permits. Well, just think, even as you go through the park entrance station, you're immediately handled information on bears, and that's a, a good thing. Some of these recommendations, again, are just really common sense sort of things, like not hiking alone or climbing alone, uh, don't hike at night. If uh, you approach an area where you don't feel comfortable, uh, go ahead and make some noise, but don't be doing it constantly. Uh, use things like bear-proof garbage containers. And so all these common-sense management actions have enabled bears and humans to better get along and uh, to coexist. And the biggest problems now in Glacier is the overwhelming numbers of park visitors. And unfortunately, it's no longer a wilderness in July and August. But uh, the park is working on that. And some potential solutions would include an expanded shuttle system, although that would uh, make a pretty small comp uh, impact. Maybe a limit on time of parking in certain areas like Logan Pass, which usually fills up by 9 in the morning. And uh, these days, uh, you, you do need a reservation just to get into the park. So those are all uh, some uh, good common sense factors and what it's kind of come to today. I lived with grizzlies and worked with bears regularly uh, for 60 years or so. And one of the most commonly asked questions that I would get is, what do you do if you meet a bear? Well, first determine what kind of bear and uh, they sometimes give a little uh, thank you for being able to see the bear. True. Uh, because it is kind of a special thing. But uh, I should determine if it's a sow with cubs or if it's a black or, or a grizzly or if the bear has seen you before you see it. And that brings up one really, really important thing that I've learned over the years is to always be alert, always be looking ahead, always be listening and smelling. And uh, many times you can avoid interesting situations just by seeing the bears before they see you. You know, a lot of folks carry bear bells, and uh, that's... Uh, Bears are curious. Sometimes it might even draw them in. And some folks find bear bells really annoying. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be hiking in a group and you want to wear bear bells, you might want to uh, check with your fellow travelers and see if it's all right with everyone. The um, big recommendation these days is to carry bear spray. And I highly recommend it um, because, uh, for one thing, it 
makes a person feel better. And secondly, if the wind is right, there's no doubt uh, that it works. And there's another interesting thing that's uh, come to light lately is that you can now legally carry firearms on trails in the park. And this is really a foolish turn of policy. We used to arrest people for carrying firearms. Bear spray is much more efficient. Um, some of the the old mountain men that live in eastern Russia had a great saying, if, uh, if you fear the bear and the wolf, you should stay out of the forest. And maybe that's the best thing to to think about. I like that. And I've I've hiked with people who've had firearms and were concerned about bears. And I told them my biggest concern, if there was a bear on top of me, please don't shoot, because I think <laughs> I could survive a bear attack, but probably not a gunshot wound. <laughs> You're so, right. Because that happens. I mean, even studies demonstrate that a lot of people end up being accidentally shot, especially in Alaska, I think, is where one big study was. But sure. uh, and the bears might come and they mess you up a bit, but a lot of times it's not fatal. That's right, and that's kind of part of the backcountry experience. Um, three things that can be potentially interesting. One is surprising a bear uh, that sometimes happens, especially around hunting season around here. Bears will go to sleep in the the uh, shrubbery and the streamside vegetation, and then uh, some folks might be coming by and accidentally surprise the bear and wake him up. And uh, sometimes that leads to unfortunate circumstances. Secondly, if it's a sow with cubs, uh, sows are very defensive. And thirdly, if a bear has just killed something. Um, I've had a couple of experiences of that when uh, bears get very possessive. And uh, luckily, in a case like that, uh, I could just close the area down until the bear was done feeding on whatever it had had killed and then uh, reopen it again. That's definitely the carcass situation is one that concerns me when I was working for National Geographic and we did a program with Stephen Herrero on bear attacks and we highlighted a couple, uh, Trevor and Patricia Van Tegum, they were hiking the Crip Lake Trail, I think it was late 80s, early 90s, and coming, when they went in, they thought they smelled something, but didn't mm-hmm. realize it was a bighorn sheep carcass and on the way out, the female came at them and messed him up. I mean, Patricia climbed a tree, but the bear came up, she said, like a pole climber. And just just end over, went up, grabbed her, pulled her out, and chewed on her until she tweaked its nose. And then it took <laughs> off. But then the next day, when uh, Steve Stephen Herrero and then a friend, Keith Brady, who was a warden up there, and several other guys went in, the bear came at them. She was just really, really aggressive. And Keith ended up having to shoot her. 
But that's oh. the carcass. That's a very scary situation because it's they're very protective at times. Yes, for sure. They're very possessive. Um, I, I, again, after 60 years, I've had uh, many interesting encounters with bears, and uh, I really appreciate uh, being in country where there are bears. And I've been seriously charged on a number of occasions by grizzlies. Uh, and, of course, the last thing a person wants to do is, is run. And what I usually do is I quietly talk to the bear. And uh, they're so far, fortunately, all been bluff charges. And then they start doing some other activity, like sometimes they'll stop and start eating grass. For example, hmm. uh, like, yeah, I didn't really mean to do that. Oh. Uh, so there's uh, different ways to handle different situations, of course. Now, what were some of those situations, Dave? Uh, one was, as you were just describing, I smelled something dead, and a, a bear just killed a bull elk, of all things. Wow. And I had a young man, a young ranger with me at the time, and and he said, look, a bear slept right here. And he looked up and he said, and there he is. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, the young man came running right over and stood behind me while the bear <laughs> came a-charging. And uh, I talked to him and that, at that point. Another interesting situation is uh, good good berry patches. Mm. Uh, bears are possessive of that, too. So again, it's basically a matter of, of staying always alert. And not only do you see more bears, you see more of everything. And uh, that's why we live in this country. And so along those lines, one of the practices that I see a lot on the trail are people playing their music on their phones. Isn't that something? I know. And I don't. I was speaking with another friend who uh, was a bear biologist, a ranger in the park for years. And he worked up at Granite and he watched for years. He said when people would come up the trail and they were speaking and because he could see the bear, he could see the people on the high line and the bear would move off. He said, but mm -hmm. then when they weren't, the bear, it was much closer before the bear realized they were there. And then also witnessing, it doesn't seem like the music is as effective as just speaking as the human voice. Uh-huh. Which I don't want to hear somebody's music on the trail anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you wonder why are they out in the backcountry if they're just going to listen to music. Exactly. So, And it's that awareness, too, because if they're listening to that, are they listening around them as well, and, and are they paying attention? That's right. They're missing so many other things, a whole part of the experience they're missing. Well, I've got some personal feelings about the uh, events at uh, Granite Park and Trout Lake. And, I, again, I feel bad that we didn't act proactively, but, again, the good that came out of it uh, was uh, in the long run was a good thing. So, as usual, hindsight uh, is more 2020, mm -hmm. and we should have been more proactive on 
on what was going on at the chalet and also that because we knew there was something wrong with that Barrett Trout Lake. I didn't realize there had been no fatalities in the park until that night. That really is striking because you're right. It's a situation that was not good for a long time. Yes. There was a long-term story that a, a young trapper back in 1910 was actually killed by a bear way up in the northeast corner up by Kishinin. And it turns out that on further um, evidence that he was not actually killed by the bear. So these two girls uh, were the first. Wow. Again, on the same night in two different places. It probably took something of that magnitude to change park policy, though. That's right. Yeah. And uh, Again, that was the, the good things that came out of it, even though it was a tough time. Uh, good things came out of it. Is I mean, it truthfully says a lot for bear management with the increased population of bears that we have in the park and the surrounding area, and, of course, the being inundated with visitors during the summer to have so many people on the trail. And we don't typically have as much confrontation and thankfully haven't had a fatality for quite a while. That's right. It's pretty yeah, remarkable. Uh, yes. Maybe bears are becoming more tolerant. Maybe some uh, bear education is actually helping with the humans. Uh, but, yep. Uh, so far, so good, and, and these new policies are, have certainly made a big difference. And hopefully, with the education, like you mentioned, it'll go beyond the park borders as well, because, you know, of course, you have them close, and where we all love to be, there's grizzlies. Yes. We're lucky to be living where there are. If you live in a place where there's grizzlies and then in a place where there's no grizzlies, there's something really missing. <laughs> makes you more alert. Makes you more aware. It makes you more alive, uh, and it makes you more tuned in to your surroundings. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, that's true. I think it expands the experience. Although I still am not so thrilled to be watching for rattlesnakes and grizzlies at the same time in some of these areas. <laughs> That makes you twice as alert, Delaney. <laughs> but which way do you look? Do you look down? Do you look up? <laughs> that's right. You look everywhere. And, look that's, and that's part of the experience, too. That is. Yeah. Well, so do you... Well, I hope we can get together and do some of that again. Yes. Looking for bears and rattlesnakes. Yes, that, that sounds wonderful to me. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners on... Why why we love these animals and what we can do to protect them for the future? Well, uh, I think we need to, to change our attitudes a little bit because all you hear about uh, is you might ask a person, have you ever been up to this particular mountain or up the valley? And, and the first thing that you hear is, well, there's bears up there. And... There's really no need to have that kind of, uh, of an attitude. Uh, again, the key is to stay alert 
and uh, if you see the bears before they see you, which you usually do, and not only seeing more bears, but again, you see more of everything. So we're lucky to be living in a place like this, Amy. No, you're absolutely right. Well, we still have a few minutes because we're going to run a little longer than normal today. And so since I have you on the phone, I wondered if you might share some of your thoughts on what it was like spending so much time in the Belly River over those years. (laughs) That's an area of the park a lot of people don't explore. And that's one reason that it's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh... Certainly a special place, uh, just for starters, habitat-wise, you start out in a dense lodgepole forest and drop on down into these big open meadows, uh, mostly still native fescue, uh, native-type meadows, and then uh, you get uh, down onto the Belly River itself and to the different forks and into the mountains themselves and on up each of the valleys. Uh, which is great for fishing or just for exploring. And as I said, um, Vivi and I were there, and she made it more than a ranger station. That was our home for 11 years. So uh, it was pretty much paradise, and basically what I did was uh, watch uh, how the campers were doing, and they keep an eye on, on the wildlife. And uh, we had our horses and mules in there, and uh, that's how we got everything in and out. We had a good, hard-working trail crew, and it was just a wonderful place to be. And also you had a unique relationship. Well, you, you're one, of, for those who don't know you, who can identify any flower, any plant, any bird by ear, and also your appreciation of the native peoples too. It runs so deep, and you know, with Chief Mountain in that ne- neck of the woods, so to speak, you know, you bring that appreciation to everything you do as well. You're right, and that's part of the, the whole experience, and that's part of why it's such a good life. And you're right, Heaven. Being living in the shadow of Chief Mountain there was pretty neat, too. And, uh, of course, that was a a favorite place, particularly of the Blackfeet Indians, uh, during the summer because they would hunt the mountain bison up there and uh, pick the berries and things. So there's a a good uh, indigenous background in the whole valley, too. And it was also a sacred space for them as well, wasn't it? Or isn't it still? It is. Yes, they still use Chief Mountain, for example, for vision questing. And uh, that's uh, an, an important part of their uh, a ritual of, of uh, manhood and of, of uh, getting a spiritual helper for, for the remainder of their life. So uh, quite a few folks still do that, and that's a good thing. It is, and I think it's also a good thing that the bison were released, too, from the Blackfeet tribe on the east side, I believe, of Chief. So it's good to have them restored to the landscape. Uh, That's a a huge thing. Um, 
There, we used to find bones and, and uh, teeth regularly all over the valley of uh, bison, and uh, Dr. Reeves verified several bison kill sites. And there's a couple of big depressions that I know were buffalo wallows, and there's no doubt that uh, there were a lot of buffalo in there during the summer. And during the winter, they wandered out again. So we'll see what develops, but it's one of my fondest dreams uh, to see buffalo back into Belly River, and it could certainly happen. I think it will. I I think there's a very, very good chance that that is going to happen in very short order, which is fantastic. Yes, and uh, interestingly, uh, the park is going along with it. Uh, For quite a while, that was kind of a stumbling block. And uh, the tribe has, has pressed ahead pretty much on their own, and they're going ahead and doing it. And uh, it's kind of an experiment at this point, um, but uh, it needs to be tried and it needs to be done. Excellent. Well, good. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for speaking with us today. Definitely about one of the favorite places of both of you and I love in this world, that's for sure. But- yes. I appreciate you sharing your experience with this, experiences with our listeners because you've seen things and have a perspective that none of us have. So it's really good to learn and to listen. Uh, it's my pleasure. And uh, it's always good to be visiting with you again and to, to share these stories. So thank you very much, Amy. Well, thank you. Well, it's important. It's important for everybody. So I wanted to thank, too, all our listeners. Once again, this is Front Range Outdoors on KGPR Great Falls. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about KGPR, please visit our website, kgpr.org, where you can find a link to donate, links to all of our other locally produced programming, and information about your local voice, KGPR Great Falls. The sun's sinking low the west and I know another day on the range has gone by we'll bed down the strays we've been gathering all day with a Montana Range Outdoors is also supported by the Big Sky Country National Heritage Area, enhancing central Montana's cultural, historic, and recreational resources through community involvement, economic growth, and development. For more information, go to bigskycountrynha.org.